It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. There's rejoicing throughout the land because the A to Z of snooker is back. And uh, over a couple of podcasts, we're going to complete the alphabet. I've sat down in Coventry with Phil Yates, Neil Folds and Alan McManus. And the first letter is R. Okay, so we've reached R. Now, I was going to do Ronnie, but I thought we've spoken so much about Ronnie and we all, everyone kind of knows what we think and we know what everyone else thinks about him. So instead, it's the exciting topic of re-racks, um, which you get now and again. And we've had, uh, we had one at the Championship League this year, uh, which I commentated on after two shots. Ryan Day and Barry Hawkins, a redwood over the yellow pocket, and they're just going to roll to the pack. So that's the quickest ever re-rack. We had one in China on pink and black, Matt Selt and Chris Wakelin, which, um, you know, you just think of the futility of, all, of the whole frame and the ball's got wedged in the pocket and uh, and off we go. But one thing I wanted to um, bring up was something Clive Everton's talked about, Phil, which is carrying over points from a re-rack frame because you sometimes get a frame where someone's sort of 40 in front, there's nothing happening and his argument is if those points carried on, you could just, they would accept the re-rack immediately. I think it's a good idea. I think re-racks in general happen a lot more quickly these days than ever before. Before, it really was the intervention of the referee that caused them. Nowadays, I think it's when the players get together by mutual consent. That's by far the most often, you know, the, the, the most um, recurring reason for a re-rack. And I think Clive's idea is a pretty good one. The vast majority of re-racks occur when there's very little between the two players, let's face it. But we've had the instance where there has been a, a large amount of points between the two. The classic example being Willie Thorne and Andy Hicks at the World Championship. Mm-hmm. Thorne was 50 on in front and he was instructed by the referee John Williams to get on with it basically and to try and break the impasse. Willie wasn't very happy. Hicks eventually won the frame and Hicks came out with that famous quote, you know, Willie was just a huffing and a puffing. <laughs> uh, so what, that didn't actually go to a rewrite then, that frame? No, a lot no. of people think it did. No, no. Yeah, that, yeah, he was, but it kind of, Willie obviously lost his, uh, lost his sort of uh, concentration I guess with it all. He missed an easy ball, actually. It was nothing to do with the re-rack, how he lost the frame. Right. But because of the intervention of the referee, he said his head was in a jam jar and he missed an easy ball and consequently lost the frame. Yeah. Well, I've actually been involved in a frame and Folgey gives me plenty of stick about it in the past. I think it's about the third or fourth longest frame in history oh, against yeah. uh, Barry Pinches. And it was one of those... 
I was the guy who was about 45 in front and about six or seven reds got down blocked. The black was over bag one and the reds were sitting. So what am I going to do? You know, you're 45 in front. He's probably playing for a re-rack and he's got every right, you know. But So um, that, that was the reason. It went on for about 50 minutes, the, the t tipping and tapping. But, you, you know, you're both playing to win. You both want to win. So, you know, that's the reason it was a long frame. It was nothing mm. else apart from that. But uh, carrying over the points is a tough one, isn't it? You know, um, I don't really know. Uh, I've not really thought about that. You yeah. and Barry, no, no one's taking the backward step, but you and Barry Pinches, are they? No. That could that can no. still be going on now? No, it was a pair of high, Highland Stags. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Button heads. The, yeah. the rear rack I remember very well, uh, trying to erase it from my mind, but I still can't was Gary Wilkinson, Dennis Taylor. I think it was their first frame in a Welsh Open match. It was re-racked after 56 minutes. 56 minutes, yeah. I had to, my first ever appearance at the, um, in the Masters, a lot of expectation. I played Dennis, and that we had started off, at, I think, very early in the match. We had two consecutive re-racks, and completely knocked the steam out of it. Mm. You felt that people were getting a bit restless and leaving already, so it was not much fun, really. That's, yeah. that's it for me. Yeah, I think, that, I think that there must be a reason why... We don't carry the points forward. Would there be anything we haven't thought of that could? That it may be just be that no one has sort of ever brought it forward as a. I mean, Clive's mentioned it, but in terms of an official been on capacity, that long time, isn't he, Clive? Yeah. Years, you mm. know about that. Next time they, have, <laughs> next time they have like Brendan, Yan, and, and Paul, the referees. They're sort of the rules. They lock themselves away every year, don't they, in a room. Maybe we should send someone into that room and with this idea. When the white smoke comes out, that's yeah. when they emerge with new rules. <laughs> I think generally I like the idea, but if you're 56 in front, say, with five <coughs> reds left, that's a much more healthy position than being 56 in front with 15 reds left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, well, we'll, we won't, we'll leave it there. We won't do, it, do that subject again and have no, a re-rack. I don't think so, yeah, no. Dull, wasn't it, that really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we waited a year yeah, for this, yeah, so that was yeah. really dull. Okay, uh, the next one is S for shot clock. Now, then, this is ties into kind of uh, slow play and all the rest of it. Um, obviously, there's a shot clock in the shootout. There was sort of talk, it was in the Premier League, there was sort of talk it would make them into ranking events. And I was always dead against it, and I still am. And it's kind of gone away, hasn't it? You know, they've got the, the average shot times now on the Will Snooker website. But... I think what a lot of people don't realise is what we think of as slow players now are nowhere near as slow as the real old slow players of years gone by. I think the old sort of slow play debate is actually redundant because the vast majority of players who play too slowly are tucked away in qualifiers that nobody ever sees anyway. Let's face it, at the top end of the game, it's never been faster. I just think... Uh, Average shot times, OK, it might be an interesting little statistical sort of diversion. And we now know that Tep Chai is the fastest on the circuit. Great. But slow play is not a problem in snooker at the moment. It's less of a problem now than it's ever been. I actually don't agree because probably I play it all the qualifying. There's a few guys that just drive you completely nuts, frankly. And it's, to me, it's completely ridiculous and something should be done about them. Um, but that, at, at the quali I did say at the yeah, qualifying yeah. It, it, it tournaments on TV it's not a problem is it I've played guys in the last three or four years and they're in the balls absolutely plumb on a red with only one shot they can play and they're walking around the table two and three times I, 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 one of the guys I played he got warned by the referee at the end of a frame um, it was in the world championship I know that is but I'm not going to say he got warned and he, he turned round to the referee and he says, what? He, could, he, he was shocked. He couldn't believe it, but it was totally ridiculous. He had a red just below the pink spot with the rest. Stun it in, you're on the black. There's only one shot he can play. 
he took three minutes to, to play the red. Mm. He's walking around, picking the rest up, putting it away, picking it back. It's totally ridiculous. And it became a non-match. I just wanted out of there. It was, and, and uh, there was another guy as well. Um, I was 3-1 down. And uh, one of my mates checked his average shot time. Uh, so he's 3-1 up and his average shot was 38 seconds a shot. And it was totally and utterly ridiculous. But that's... I'm, I'm going on one because it really just drives you nuts, you know. The, the problem is, because um, I know that Sean Murphy's spoken about a shot clock. In a one-table setup, you could have it, but how do you have it when there's eight tables all these clocks, all buzzers and everything? Yeah, no. How do you do that? Yeah, That's the problem with but it. No the, one's yeah. thought about that. And, but also, is it within, like you said, the player's been warned. It's within the rules. The referee can... It's time-wasting, isn't it? That's what it's always been covered under. Um, so they can actually yeah. step in, but it's they don't always do it, do they? The yeah, the, yeah, the problem, the, the 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 sort of the crime, or not crime, but it's already been the, committed, mm. and the damage has kind of been done by the. T- it's, you know, um, could could there be a thing where they they have a um, a thirty second or whatever it is <coughs> on the scoreboard, and it maybe I don't know, it flashes red when it gets to five without any noise, and if the guy goes over the time. Two or three times, and the, the maybe they could have against his name like three lights or something. The first, the first offence, one light comes on. Second offence, two lights. So that the guy then knows. What's the penalty there? Arrested. Uh, well, <laughs> apart from being arrested, uh, they, they they should basically visit over and ball yeah. in hand to the other yeah. guy. Yeah. And as everyone on this table knows, it would actually do them a favour because yeah. no one in the history of the yeah. game. Has ever slowed down considerably. Yeah. There was become better for it. There was no. another guy I, I seen a couple of seasons ago. He played against a friend of mine. Um, he potted a long red. He's absolutely perfect on the black. And I actually deliberately sat and watched the match just to see how slow it was going to be. And he took five minutes to pot a, a black and a blue. And that that is. And he's absolutely. I promise you, he's perfect on the black. He's perfect on the next red, and then he's perfect on the blue. It took him over five minutes to play those four shots. So basically, I think what Alan is saying, Phil, is there is a problem with it of a few, and we don't get to see much of it. You're right, but mm. it, you know, it doesn't mean it should happen. And I mean, I, I think the, the, the slow players now aren't as slow. I mean, the, the two slow players when I was first turned professional was Robbie Folvari and Ian Williamson, and they played each other once, didn't they? And it mm. was. Um, as well, it was a seven-hour match yeah. or something, wasn't it? For the best pu- of nine, they were pulled off initially at two each. Yeah, <laughs> over yeah, around, the, yeah. around the session. Three at two referees each. that went through, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. What, what, what would you guys think about something like that? You know, next to your name and and, and a big, obviously, thirty-second countdown, and maybe three strikes and you're out, ball in hand, or well, or I guess foul some people would maybe say there are certain shots, and we've seen them here in commentary. Where you actually you, you do take a minute to look at it because it's oh, a very yeah. important safety shot or something. So should should you be penalised for but, that? But the the other thing is, uh, should the shot clock only come into operation once you pot a red? Okay, right, yeah. So then, so you might be on a break. Then, yeah. On a break, yeah. Then yeah. you could say, well, it's up, it's up to the player to get on with it, you know. And there are two forms of slow players, as we all know: the ones who are genuinely slow. Mm. And the other ones who have become slow to gain an advantage against mm. certain opponents, yeah. and I think the ones who are genuinely slow, they're not trying to pull any strokes. They just—that's the way they are. Some of them don't know they're slow. They don't. They just do not know. Exactly, the guy who was shocked in the World Championship when he was warned by um, the referee, he couldn't believe it. Well, and he shouldn't and be because he is slow. The guy, was, I know, it was, it was completely ridiculous. Mm. 
but they're a bit going. But it is a two-tier problem, though. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. We don't go to qualify, so we don't see this. But, I mean, actually, a tournament, certainly, mm. we're talking here at the Champion of Champions. Yeah. It's a completely non-issue. It's a non-issue. It is, yeah. 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 Well, well, we should vote then, I think. Not that it's going to make any difference, but who thinks that a shot clock... No one can see it either. So, but who thinks a shot clock should be, should be... Some sort of shot clock should be introduced. Hands up. Uh, Alan's hands up. Yeah. <laughs> I think there should be a shot clock, but I think the penalty for slow play should be you a percentage of your earnings for that tournament should be mm. should be the fine nothing to do with on you can't dock a frame or ball in hand i think i mean don't forget it's it's ranking points now so say you earn 5000 pound out of a tournament and you you you've been slow you might get 20% of that taken off and that's 20% that you're ranking for that tournament gone mm. i would suggest that maybe a shock could be introduced if the problem persists but i think first you give the referees a lot more power than they've got already, or at least you give the referees a lot more perceived power than they've got already, and just let them step in and say, enough's enough. They yeah. won't do that. The uh, referees yeah. won't do that. They've That's never right. done it. Yeah, because I, and I can understand why. They, mm. they just want to do their job, get out of there and, and not um, cause any issues. They're not going they're they're to right. yeah. step in. Yeah. Because I think somebody did that years ago and warned a player, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he got a letter from his solicitor over it. Right. Player solicitor. Yeah. Well, I'm still against it. But anyway, we'll move on. Tears for television. And that's the, the one reason, really, we're, we're all here, earning a living out of the game, players included. You can be the best snooker player in the world, but without exposure, it doesn't mean anything. And it's the great success stories. 50 years, we mentioned Pop Black on the last ones. 50 years since Pop Black, we started it all. There's something about snooker as a game, rather than the professional sport, as an actual game to watch that is just perfect for TV. And one of the reasons, I guess, let's be honest, it's quite cheap to cover in terms of you're not outdoors, you can get it all on one camera, and it's just, it's just work for decades, Phil, isn't it? It's cheap to cover, yeah, definitely. Um, and also, the actual television rights for snooker are quite cheap as well, so consequently, it fills hours upon hours of uh, TV schedules, and it still consistently produces massive figures, not just here in the UK, but over the, the world as a, as a whole. The, the figures are incredible. Mm. Neil, how did it, your sort of life change from when you were a player, you know, playing locally in clubs and so on, be turning professional, and then suddenly you're on television? Yeah. Did you, did you, was it like a sudden thing? Suddenly people kind of know who you are? Yeah, because, I, you know, I was lucky enough to play in an era when snooker was a big thing. I mean, it still is, but, in, you know, in, what I'm saying is that when it was first on the BBC, it really was a big deal, wasn't it? There was a, you, you, everyone knew who the players were. Um, and, yeah, I, it changed everything. I mean, I didn't particularly like it getting recognised and all that. Uh, I do, don't mind it now because it doesn't happen so much. You're more grateful. But no, it didn't, you know, I didn't particularly, didn't really suit me. Other people would love it. But, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's played a huge part. I mean, I played in the... In, my first TV experience was Junior Pop Black, which was terrifying, actually, for most people. And my first match on the TV as a pro was against Bill Werbenek in the Yamaha Organs. And then... But I got better, you know, more coverage from then. And... You know, I think we have to all be very grateful for what TV you know, and snooker have, have given us, really. Because mm. you get people who complain that formats, oh, it's all for, done for telly. Well, yeah, it's done for telly because they're paying the rights fees. Every tournament has been invented for TV. The World Championship existed pre-TV, but the format was changed to suit television. Every format that we see is to suit television because ultimately they're paying the wages. And there's a lot of sports that we all remember from maybe 30 years ago that were big, big news on TV that have sort of disappeared a little bit. You know, but snooker is still mainstream, and I think the viewing figures generally they might have dipped a while ago, but they're not back on the on the up again, and that's that's great news for everyone. 
I think, you know, these players who complain about the big names being on the main table, does a tennis player complain about Federer being on the centre court at Wimbledon or, or you know, another big name in tennis, Nadal, Murray when he was playing well, Djokovic? No, they don't. It really is unfortunate, and it, I think it's unfair as well that the top players get to play on the main table all the time, but I think it's just the way of the world, and I don't think you can do anything about it. Well, I remember at the UK Championship, someone tweeted me because Ronnie was, you know, understandably on table one all the time, and, and he said, oh, no, he said they should share it around more. He said, Ronnie should start like on table four, then next match, table three. just felt like saying, OK, you promote a tournament, you go and stick Ronnie on table five, see how you get on. See how you get on. There'll be no interest from TV. You won't, there'll be no tickets sold because you know on table one because they're all on table five. Just there'll be no room around table five yeah. for anyone to get it's, near it either. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a meritocracy in as much as you all start at the bottom and you achieve what you achieve, and then you earn your place. You know, playing on the main tables through that. Just on Ronnie, I, I don't think. I mean, as far as I, I when we were in um, the temperature about three or four years ago, um, they decided that Ronnie shouldn't always play on the main table because it's a different setup there, isn't mm. it? And they said, well, you know, he's going to go on one of the other tables. And a lot of people said, oh, yeah, the lighting's no good out there. You see how he gets on. Well, he played marvellous, actually. Mm. It made no difference no, no, to him. No, 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 no. You know, he wouldn't care what table he was on. Yeah. But it's not down to him, is it, really? Yeah. It's down to the people watching. And everyone wants to watch him. You know, interestingly now, with the TV and with Ronnie, you know, Judd Trump is the world champion, the world number one. Mm. And what happens you know, when they're playing at the same time? You know, just, who, gets, who gets first dibs? It should really be Trump, but mm. I'm not sure it will be. Mm. I know that... Um, some players down the years have got the hump in there if they're not on the TV table. I, I, personally, everyone's different. Personally, I, I, I wouldn't care less if I, if I was one of the top names in the game. I, I, I play, put me on anything. As long as the table's good and it's not roasting hot and whatever else and, you, and the conditions are good, I'd play in a broom cupboard. I don't care. Is there a, is there a big no, difference, really? though, in terms of like how you feel playing on TV because obviously you've got the cameraman there and, and the lighting is different I guess well it is I, I've always believed that some guys take to it like a duck to water and some guys don't you know um, can players learn to get be more uh, competent at playing under the cameras under the lights I think so I think one example of that is Dave Gilbert he's mm. been a guy who's taken mm. uh, you know quite a long time mm. to sort of come to terms with the conditions and, and maybe he doesn't like being on TV maybe <coughs> you know you don't really know I kind of like I enjoyed it it's a strange old thing and Neil will, will probably say the same it, I, when you play in front of it seems to me when you the more people you play in front of the easier it is right. it's kind of weird it's a bit it's a bit like um, when you hear a noise, if, you, if only one person makes a noise, you notice them. But if a hundred people make a noise, you don't. Mm. So I've always found it. I always found it easier. And and sort of interesting actually, just last night when Ronnie came in and and I, I uh, asked him in the studio, is there a part of him that obviously wants to win? But is there a part of him that thinks right? There's a thousand people in here. I'm going to show them some real, real good mm. stuff. You know, I'm going to show them some real fancy stuff, which he did last night. Is there a part of them that, that thinks that way? And mm. I, I think, as a player, that it's a good thing if you do think that, right? Oh, there's a big crowd in here. <laughs> I must be a good player because I'm out in front of these. So, right, okay, I'm going to show them. Mm. Um, yeah. Logistically, of course, if you put the wrong match on on the main table and you put a big match on an outside table, it's a nightmare. The classic example was at the Welsh Open in Cardiff, nearly twenty years ago, I think now. 
they put Stephen Hendry, bear in mind, 20 years ago, they put Stephen Hendry and Jimmy White on an outside table when they were at the height of the game, at the height of their playing rivalry. Each other. Playing each other on an outside table because it was BBC Wales coverage and they put a Welshman on the main table. There was about 12 people watching the main table. This out- John was yeah. playing on the main table. Yeah, this outside <laughs> table was absolutely packed. Poor old Frank Baker, the security man. Yeah. It was the, one of the worst nights of his life, you know, because people were trying to pack in there and there literally wasn't room. And it, it just exploded the theory that you should space it out and give everyone the same amount of chance because it just doesn't work. One thing I would say down the years, and I, I don't obviously get to playing TV tables uh, very often these days, but the tables play, I think it's easier. The tables just play better. Mm. I mean, you, you see this week, you know, you see it at the Masters, you see it at Sheffield. The standards are awesome, you know. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. But the, And I think the pockets play a little bit bigger on a TV table generally than... An outside table. It's like, that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes at World Championship qualifying, the, the red along the black cushions, the plague, you just wouldn't go near it because you, you can't pot it. It's the, not so much now, but I remember probably probably seven, eight years ago, I, I remember playing on tables and it was just a no-go shot. You, you couldn't play it, but you get the crucible and you can play it. You know, brand new cloth, it seemed to be a little bigger, but then the table fitters will always say they're templates and, you know, they're all templated the same. But they seem to play better and bigger tables. I don't know why. I think one thing that has changed, and, and this is not me sucking up to anyone who might employ me, but the, the quality of the coverage has improved over the years. You know, if you go back in terms of the number of cameras, and even like in the 80s, like now we're used to the score strap. You know, it's always there, isn't it, to say what the score is. Back then, you know, you might wait 10 minutes to find out what, what the mm. actual score in the, in the frame was. Um, but I guess that's, that's a natural kind of progression, isn't it? You know, all, all sport now is, is done very, very professionally. It's not done on the cheap, is it? It's done very professionally. The guys here were working with ITV, you know, and, and Eurosport, BBC, all of them, they all work really hard to, you, you see these sort of VT packages, there might be a minute at the start of a programme. Someone spent hours putting that together. Yeah. Well, actually, I think, uh, I don't know if I'm letting a cat out the bag here, but World Snooker are now, I think they're doing for the Masters this year, they're doing like corporate boxes and corporate hospitality mm. actually in the arena. I mean, that to me, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, it's going to be sort of a at the com box side, obviously at the black end of the table, there's going to be tiered boxes and like actual, there's going to be cordoned off little areas where people sit and actually are like a, a, as if they're in like a nightclub or a, or a cabaret club or something. You know, with a table and you can have a drink and as long as all the commentators yeah, are, are able to see the table exactly <laughs> also yeah and supplied with the same drinks and stuff yeah. as well I'll say two things about commentary which I think have improved as the years have gone on one is that the wealth of information that we've now got at our fingertips we've got what they call the you know what, is it the Austin Elliot yeah the yeah, the, 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 the fruit machine there yeah. what we call it the fruit machine it's basically got a load of different statistics on which gives us an immense amount of information what the, the viewer doesn't realise is that at most tournaments, pretty much all of them, David uh, Hendon here produces a phenomenal stat pack for us, so that really helps as well. We obviously do it's a lot. quite of... good, don't say phenomenal. No, it's yeah, very it's good. Be- be- best there's ever been. Uh, and so that really helps do as well. Do you have a look at it, Neil? And we've also, got, <laughs> we've also got a lot of enthusiasts as well, people like Chris Downer does that Chris Crucible mm-hmm. Almanac, oh, which is fantastic. like the Bible, it's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Yeah, and then you've got... Other websites like QTracker and Snooker.org as well. So that makes our life easier and that make, think, makes the, the commentary product better as well. But also, the people who are doing it. Now, I've commented with scores of people over the years. And when people are players, you can never really gauge whether they're going to be any good or not until they go into that commentary box. Now, I mean, I knew Alan and, and, and Neil as a journalist for many, many years. 
when they came into the commentary box, it was an open book for me. I was completely, I wasn't sure whether they'd be any good or not. And it turns out they're the best in the business. Now, that is the truth. There you go. Is it true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he wants you to say what's nice about him now. No, no. no. no, 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 no. I've been rumbled. I've been rumbled. <laughs> is the only truth that an unnamed player on his first time in the commentary box took two pints of beer into the commentary box? Uh, you don't have to name the player. I'm not going to name him. You've not done any more commentary since, I don't think. Uh, no. Well, I'm not going to say that either. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> two points behind yeah. And you thought one was for you, and, and it wasn't. It was both for him. Yeah, I, I, I needed I need a double whiskey after this. Okay. Yeah, Just finally on this subject, I think the other thing that's changed is it's now all live, isn't it? You know, it used to be even people the great m- matches people remember very often they were just highlights. Mm. It wasn't always live in the in the eighties in the so called golden era. Now it's all live. It's yeah. on Eurosport, ITV Four, even the BBC. They might not, they'll be on the red button. You can see it somewhere. You can see it online. There's never been more of a chance to watch snooker than there is right now. No, and I think that actually, um, if you go back to when. Um, point where it wasn't all life and I've done commentary on that sometimes you would towards the end of a frame you wouldn't say a lot because you know that's never going to see the light of day again mm. but you know the sport has to be live in this era mm. doesn't it it's a brilliant thing um, that, that we do in ITV I think and, and Neil will remember I, I don't know if it was uh, it might have been uh, Lindudno with two tables and, and one of the matches I think there was two best of sevens on both tables every evening mm. So one of them went on till I think about one a.m. and but basically the t- to let people know, the team basically just work together and it's like the boss will, will say, right guys, can you jump into table two and, and or, or uh, we're going to jump to table two, get two cameramen over there quickly, let's finish it and and if they, they ask myself, Neil or any of the the, the gang, um, can you stay in the box? Yeah, no problem. Let's get it done because you you do appreciate the viewers. There'll be a lot of people sitting there wanting to see the end of the match. It's brilliant. I know we've yeah, gone on too brilliant. long about this. The last yeah. thing I want to say about that is I, the, one of the times we did what you're saying, went to a different table late, and you had people sending tweets saying, oh, this is no good. I'll tell you why it's no good, because there's nobody watching. And, and my, my grievance there is if you think that in the 80s mm-hmm. there were anyone watching table two um, of a match at midnight you're wrong there's probably about half a dozen people there just that you never got to see it live then yeah. mm. so that's all it is yeah. now you get to see it so that's that yeah. you know, I'm done absolutely <laughs> right so for the final one for this this edition is you and you stands for unfulfilled potential and this topic is about we all, we've all seen players certainly you guys would have who you think he's going to be a world beater he's going to be a top player maybe world champion and they don't quite make it. I was thinking about the, the Wilson who had this Young Players of Distinction scheme years ago and you had like Murphy, Maguire, Ali Carter, Ryan Day. There's also a young man from Scotland, Alan Burnett was on it. And he turned pro, but he just for whatever reason he didn't do what they did. And, and there's lots of examples of that, isn't there? Yeah, Alan Burnett, uh, obviously I know him not that well. He actually lives quite close by me. Um, he, he took <coughs> a step away from the game right. um, when, it, when he decided to put his cue away. And he, he, he actually, <laughs> it's funny, he literally will not go in a snooker club anymore. One of his mates is actually a snooker table fitter mm. to this day. Um, and uh, I've asked him a couple of times, oh, you know, uh, oh, he's going out for a beer with Alan. Oh, are you going to come in the club? No, he won't come in the club. So he took a step away. I don't really know how good he could have been because I never played in the same club as him. I know he was a good player. I don't think he was quite the, the sort of prodigy, the the... Uh, the, the expectation of him being a top player I don't think he was on the Maguire level and all mm. that but he was a good player mm. there's been loads in there I mean mm. Neil would remember and, and we all would for me 
from the time of turning uh, from amateur to pro was Jonathan Birch. Mm. I mean, I played, yeah. I, actually I played doubles with him at the Meta World Masters in 91. Um, and he as an amateur was simply awesome. But when he turned pro, he just didn't seem to adapt to maybe the fact that everyone as a pro is a good player. You know, he was, he was just bashing everyone up as, a, as an amateur. Tables were different. And he turned pro, and I know he had some health issues um, later on then, but he, he didn't seem to, uh, for whatever reason, make the step up. Don't know why. Yeah. We all thought he was a certainty to do big things. Yeah. He was runner-up in the IBSF World Amateur Championship to Ken Doherty in Singapore, I believe it was. And it was just sort of a given that, at the very least, he was going to make it and become a fixture in the top 32, maybe even the top 16. Mm-hmm. It just didn't really transpire. A player from that similar era who was very, very good and was an unfulfilled talent was Nick Dyson. Mm. Cracking player. Yeah. And I suppose nowadays, Michael Holt would be right at the top of the list. You know, he's got a, a great personality and it would be phenomenal if he did really, really well because he's such a nice guy and he just doesn't quite seem to be able to do it for whatever reason. And it's a great shame because I think the world of him. Well, it's difficult to say about current players, isn't it? Because you don't know that they're not going to do it still. Yeah. Michael Holt could still win something. Um, the only one I can think of, and it goes back even for Terry Whitthread, mm. he was from London, uh, Left very, hander. very good player, but he had issues off the table, yeah. um, which made it very difficult for him, actually, um, without going into them. Uh, so that was very sad. And uh, David Gilbert, not Dave Gilbert now, the other one, that he was another very good player from London. And again, he, it's, things happened to him off the table, bereavements in, in, in the case of both of those, and it completely changed their uh, outlook on snooker, I think. Um, I think they are real genuine cases of it, of players who, I think they both turned pro, but I think the moment they've gone for those. There was another guy actually, when I played in the Scottish junior team, um, he was part of the Welsh junior team at Hemsby in 87 or 8, Paul Dawkins. And I watched him, it was the home internationals, I think he was, Joe Swale was in it, Ken was there, the Bunchick Fergal, uh, Anthony Hamilton, Ebden, all these guys. and Paul Dawkins was, by a distance, in my opinion, the best player amongst all that lot. I, I, he was one you watched and you thought he, he could be a world champion. He was that good. But again, he went down a different avenue. I think he you know, maybe picked up some habits. I, 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 I don't really know. But um, he just didn't develop as a player into uh, being a pro. Well, there must have been a lot of players in the, when the game went open at the Norbrecht and they'd be kind of young. Suddenly they're away from home, you know, their their chance to go out, have a few drinks, and so on. And and I guess a few of them just did too much of that. I'm not saying anyone you've mentioned so far, but there'd be a lot of people who would have been talented juniors who maybe just didn't weren't single minded enough. Another one to throw in the mix was David Gray. Oh yeah, well that's actually he is the the big big example of all. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, conversely, you get people who come into the pro ranks and you don't think they're going to do anything, Mm. and they do great things. Mm. You know, I mean, Mm. before Fergal O'Brien broke through. Not really a lot of people had heard of him, but because he'd got such a, a phenomenal work ethic and a pretty good temperament as well, and he absolutely loves the game, I think he's done really well in his career. It's funny, I mentioned Joe Swale. I remember when, when we played Northern Ireland, obviously, and, the, and I watched Joe, and, and his, his cue action was to die for, touch to die for. And you thought, there's no way that he is not going to be a top player because you know, you could, you, you, it was just it was obvious. You know, It's funny, actually, Stephen Hendry. Um, Unfulfilled talent. Henry. Aye, <laughs> imagine what he could have been. He was, <laughs> but he, but he, he was he, you know, he's the opposite end of the spectrum because, as an amateur up our way, he won the Scottish Amateur twice in a row. He was fifteen or something, and and he was beaten. See, then young guys weren't brilliant players, 
they were just you know put a few balls. It was all old guys, but Stephen was the only one that came through, and he'd, uh, he's the opposite end. Obviously, um, went on to do everything, but he again, you just knew he was gonna, you know. Because it make it clear that the Dave Gilbert I was speaking about was not yeah. the David Gilbert now, because oh, you know no. he's just making that double uh, clear. Yeah, the small guy, was wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there was two Dave Gilberts. That was yeah. yeah. And because there were so many p- pitfalls, there's so many life issues that get in the way, obstacles to people becoming really good players. You can never actually definitely say, yeah, he is going to be no, something else. No. The only exception to that is Ronnie O'Sullivan. I played him when he was 10, and it was obvious, obvious yeah. even then, he was out of this world. Mm. And still is, and he may feature, who knows, on the next edition, but that's it for now. So join us for the last edition. We, we will get to the end of the alphabet in our next pro, I'm gonna say pro podcast. Next podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.